the KCI Terminal Project. What just happened and what comes next? I'm Dave Helling of the Star's editorial board. You're on Deep Background. And joining me now to talk about those topics are two of the great reporters in Kansas City, Bill Turk of The Star, the City Hall reporter. Bill, thanks for being with us. And of course, Steve Vockrod, who's covered the airport story as well. Thanks for having me. Well, in December, guys, uh, the vote was nine to four to kill a deal with Edgemore Infrastructure and Real Estate to redevelop the airport. And then last Thursday, eight to five to sign a deal with Edgemore. Bill, tell us your own view of what happened between December 14th and February, whatever the day was, 11th, 10th, whatever it was, where the council, in essence, flipped from being against Edgemore to being for it. Well, I think what you saw was um, council members first asserting, asserting their oversight responsibility for openers. I think they... In December. Yeah, and I think that they saw the extended period of time as an opportunity uh, also to to just try to do a little sausage making and, and put more of their um, their concerns into the document in terms of uh, community benefits and um, you know adjusting this um, this reimbursement provision that made the city liable for a lot of money. We were all surprised, weren't we, Bill, in December when this vote was taking vote kind of surprised and it did seem at the time as if each member sort of had maybe a different problem with what was happening it wasn't sort of Uh nine votes because we don't like Edgemore or nine votes because we don't like this deal each member had an individual concern is that right I think that's right and and the other thing is the elephant in the room that never got discussed because lawyers discouraged them from discussing it was the labor situation and there were there was a block of council members who uh, had uh, was, uh, was leveraged very heavily by labor to resist a deal with Edgemore uh, until they could get the kind of labor deal uh, from Edgemore that they wanted. Yeah, and yeah. so it was all very. Um, it was a lot of theater going on and a lot of a lot of um, a lot of sausage making. Right, and there were you know the concerns did have merit. Right, Steve. I mean, it wasn't a made-up thing. At least by most of the council members, it wasn't a deal where. Let's just get rid of Edgemore for the, you know, just to get rid of them, that there were legitimate concerns in December. Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, I, I think some of the dissenting council members back in December were criticized uh, for being obstructionist. I don't necessarily see it that way. True, there's some on the council, I think, you know, like Lee Barnes, who I don't think was ever going to come around on anything with Edgemore. I think he was predisposed against them uh, for, for a while, and he has not made a secret of that. Um, but I think there, you know, at first blush, there were a lot of council members and, you know, absent any other evidence, I think we take them at their word that they had some concerns about the framework of the original deal. And a lot of those, a lot of those changes uh, were made. And um, there was also, though, this discussion about labor agreements, labor harmony agreements, which by law has to exist outside of this MOU. And that was, that was influencing some of the, uh, I believe, some of what happened in December. But, um, you know, to get back to your original question, I mean, this is an oversight role that the city council uh, uh, took. And clearly they were displeased with that first, uh, uh, that, that first agreement. They walked away, frankly, from an opportunity to 
toss Edgemore out right at that moment. You, you'll recall that there was a, a measure that was introduced from the floor that day that they could have voted on, and they didn't, and they didn't even really take it up the following week. Right, so. although the argument I've made, which may or may not have merit, is in December, we, it, it, you know, first of all, it was the first sign that there was serious problems with the Edgemore Agreement among members mm-hmm. of the council. We had heard, you know, there had been sort of the subterranean negotiations, but the first serious sign that there were concerns... But those concerns were largely secret and malleable. I mean, you you know, why are you against it? Well, I don't like A, B, and C, and then why don't you like it, D, E, and F? And that, you know, those sands could shift right. a, a, until the December 14th vote, which forced everyone to say, on the record, this is where my problem is, and give Edgemore a chance to address it. Right, and I think part of the problem with this is you've had this whole procurement process, which is, you know, as we, as, as Bill and I wrote in a story on Sunday, has just been snake bitten and troublesome from the very beginning. And I think one of the consequences of that is the procurement didn't really even set forth a framework or an outline for what an MOU would look like. And I think council members were surprised at this idea, for instance, of a, of a $30 million uh, reimbursement agreement. Yeah. They thought it was walk away money in case the deal fell through, which in in an extreme reading of it, that's what it is. But there's some, you know, there's more nuance to it uh, than that. And I think they were just surprised that the MOU would contain and not contain certain things that I think they were expecting. And uh, that I think that was a process of a uh, uh, of a procurement process that was anything but smooth. Yeah. And do you agree with that, Bill? That that, that this was sort of fated to happen one way or the other. Almost whatever. The decision so. would have been. I, I think after the November election and and sort of the overwhelmingly uh, positive result that um, the ballot question had, I think there was everyone kind of had the assumption. Well, you know, that's that. You know, we're on our way. And I, I, let me just stop you there because I think that's such an important point, and I think it gets overlooked sometimes. Sometimes, but the the election itself changed the discussion because. Throughout the procurement of the spring, summer, and into the early fall, it was all theoretical in a way. Well, it'll be Edgemore if we build it, and let's have our negotiations. Once the voters endorse the new airport, now we're talking about real money mm-hmm. <laughs> and real jobs and real uh, contracts and real MOUs, and that really did get uh, force everyone to be much more serious about what. Well, they were and when the about. council all of a sudden, seemingly out of the blue, kind of pumped the brakes in December. Everyone went well. What, what is this? You yes. know, what are you, you? You're messing everything up. We've had our big celebrations here. You yes. know, we, we've declared victory. And and what are you? What are you doing mucking around with this? You grubby politicians. Right. Although Steve mentions that the procurement process was a little bit uh, shaky from the start. In a normal procurement process, the entire city council would not necessarily be involved at the granular level level of details with the MOU. Right. I mean, let's just be clear on that too. That the idea that they performed oversight makes sense, but in a normal procurement, that would not be the case. The whole idea is you have a committee that studies it, makes a recommendation, and then the council accepts it or rejects it. But the idea of sort of a granular negotiation involving 13 council members is unusual, isn't it, Bill? It is, but this is also... And maybe unavoidable in this case. I think it was, because this is a, a generational-sized project, and... If they were to just sort of cheerfully sign off, or not sign off, right? um, And there were problems. 
you know, billion-dollar-sized problems with this kind of who's going to get blamed for this. Right, right. Although that's true now after the it's last true now. vote. I mean, it, it's true now because no one thinks the MOU. Uh, it mu- you know, it was much better than it was in December, but not perfect in uh-huh. any way. How, uh, what about the politics of it, Steve? I mean, what about the movement of the, politically? I mean, it, was there pressure brought to bear? Was there uh, were, were there shifting alliances? I wrote in my column, and I think this is true. Most of the time, at the vast majority of times at City Hall, you kind of know how a vote is going to turn out, uh, you know, a couple of days before the vote. We were all there last Thursday and literally didn't know what was going to happen. There was immense pressure, um, I believe. I mean, just as a reporter covering this really throughout, there's immense pressure brought on reporters from competing interests to say, hey, our version of the story is true, or our bid is better, or our finances work better. So I can't really even imagine what it's like for council people to have to sort through this. And I think there was lobbying going on probably right until the moment the vote was taken. Right. Um, now, if we look at the nine to four vote compared to the eight to five, of course there were some votes that uh, that switched place. There was, uh, you know, I think it's largely seen that um, Kevin McManus and Quentin Lucas were two votes who were out there. Um, that I think there was a lot of pressure brought to them. Uh, and they to turned out to be the, the swing votes, didn't they? I mean, I you know had both voted no, it would have lost. They were they were swing votes. Uh, Dan Fowler was arguably a swing vote. I mean, he he told me two days before the vote. He says, "I can if you're asking me to commit, I won't. Uh, right. I'm, I'm vacillating." Was the, the term that he used. Um, you know, so 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 you had some you had some votes that were up there in the air, and um, you know, uh, I I asked Quentin the day before. You know, I said, "Hey, I understand your your swing vote," and he acknowledged that. You know, it seems as though I am, um, and. It's not clear when he made his decision, but uh, really the factor. Or why really, other than. Well, we, we do know that he had some concerns about how the language in the MBE, WBE requirements. Minority was, businesses, women businesses. Correct, right. Uh, was, was spelled out in the MOU. And they went through about seven different languages, uh, versions of language before they found one that uh, he seemed to he seemed Be to happy like. with. So. He wanted a con- we'll come back to this in a minute, but he wanted contractual language that superseded really the city's normal HR requirements on MBE and WBE. That that generally yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's also a there's kind of a really kind of a title sort of influence that goes on on these on these votes on the floor because. You know, you're at the if you're at the the back of the queue waiting to vote, and all of a sudden, right out of the chute, you have Wagner, Hall, and um, Teresa Lore. And Teresa Lore, no, no, no. Yeah. And I think there's an argument that if that if Kevin McManus is sitting there, he sees uh, Quentin Lucas vote no. I think that he puts a lot more pressure on him. Right. No. And it would have been seven to six, which I think. Frankly, I get the sense that everyone wanted to avoid a seven to six vote either way uh-huh. because it then you just people to continue to pick on the process. Um, Although I would say that eight to five isn't a great figure right. for this oh, going of course forward not. because you, presumably you start with five people against and two more people uh, who don't like it at the end of this can say uh, nope, no final agreement, and you know we'll see where we right. are. Right, and that leads to the next question, Bill, which is. The council members in December said, well, we want a better MOU. Is it better? And how? Well, I think that um, from, the, from the standpoint of some people on the council, yes, there's, there's, you know, there's some more money 
that is going into um, in the community benefits package. I think there is more specific. It's about double what the original MOU wasn't it? They went from about fifteen million up to twenty-eight, fourteen million. Isn't that about right? right. Yeah. And yeah. I think they tightened up this provision, uh, uh, the circumstances under which Edgemore would collect money uh, if the deal fell apart, and they set up a very specific process where every expense had to be. Uh, uh, reviewed by the aviation department, and and so that and they lowered the amount from thirty million to twenty three million. Um, so the reimbursement I, amount, yeah, the, the breakup fee. And so I think there were some. Which things. they don't like us using that term, but that's right. what it is, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so um, I think it probably was a better document, but I also think just generally the process of public discussion that went on, where the mayor gave everybody a chance to say their piece. Whether they got everything they wanted or right, not, right, and to literally make a list. This is the yeah. these are the things we right. want to see fixed. And I, I think that that I think that sort of was beneficial for everybody. Yeah, that that yeah. process took place. Yeah, do, do we have any sense, Steve, that Edgemore has approached this in bad faith or 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 um, you know was trying to pull the wool over the city's eyes back in December or you know what what role did they play in this messy process post election well you, you you'll have people you know i've had people whisper in my ear that yeah Edgemore's uh negotiating underhandedly or you know trying to really stack things for their favor uh, I don't have, in my observation, I don't really see any indication of that. I think one of the problems that they had at the outset, and I think you referenced this in an editorial that ran recently, is that they really just thought that they had to go in here and negotiate, you know, sort of the balls and strikes of a contract agreement. And I don't know that they were completely or at all aware of the political realities that you face when you do business like this in this town. I mean, there are a lot of competing interests. There are a lot of people who line up on different sides of, of, of the aisle on a, on a project like this. And I don't know that they necessarily appreciated what they were going up against at that point. So we're talking like November, December time. Right, and that's well, one of the things I wrote in a column is that's why December was important too because it sort of served as a wake-up call to right. Edgemore on their side. Like, this is serious business. You're not going to – this isn't locked in. Right, and, I, and I've seen that statement by, by you, which I agree with, kind of misinterpreted as, well, yeah, of course it should be a merit-based selection. And yeah, in a perfect world it is, but we live in a world where there are political and competing interests. We've got labor unions trying to get their, their, their slice of the pie. We've got, uh, you, you, we've got an open procurement process where you know, we heard the mayor say that AECOM and Burns McDonald were using heavy-handed politics to influence this thing. And I don't know how ready Edgemore was to really deal with stuff like that. And I think subsequent to the December vote, you saw them hiring some local figures who could help navigate those choppy waters. You have people like Mike White, a longtime attorney, uh, former politician in this town, who I think him and several others helped them, sh- them shepherd uh, this process for them uh, in a way they probably couldn't have done that well. Right, right. I, I, you know, just to uh, call the role of the people in the chamber last Thursday, t- uh, Terry Riley, former councilman, Mark Bryant, mm-hmm. former councilman, Jim Bowers, Roshan Paris. I mean, you just go down the list of what I call fixers. They were there. Yeah, it was like a man-to-man defense. <laughs> they, they had everybody pick their guy and, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think Edgemore came to realize, didn't they, Bill, that, that okay, that if we're going to do this, we've got to, you know, up the roster a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that the, anything 
do you think that one of the dynamics for the council, Bill, it was we sure don't want to go through this again? I mean, how much of the vote last Thursday was a reflection of concern that if we blow this up now, and by the way, everyone assumed at the time that if Edgemore lost a second time, they were basically through. There wasn't going to be a third negotiation. That some council members just said, we can't, this will string it out for a year, that it will have to go through a new procurement potentially anyway. Uh, you know, was there any fatigue built into the vote last Thursday? Sure. I think some some members definitely expressed fatigue, and I think that they were tired of being hammered on right. by everybody. I mean, I, one of the, uh, I think Catherine Shields at one point said, look, you can find fault with any of these bidders, and, and you can find reasons to be for AECOM or Burns and Mac or these <laughs> other bidders. But you got to pick somebody, and pick this somebody. is before us. And nobody, and and the mayor made this point too. Nobody, no company goes through these huge multi-billion-dollar public works projects without bad headlines, without hiccups. I mean, it's not all like the big dig in Boston, but everybody has problems. Everyone has unforeseen circumstances that require more money, and you're not going to find that pristine, um, you know, completely uh, blameless. Uh, company and so, yeah, uh, I think they had they they and I think they need to um, they needed to come to terms with that and they need to look that square in the eye. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. Find a perfect Do you think Edgemore has learned any lessons from this process, uh, Steve? And also, what about the behavior? Let's come come back to Edgemore in a minute. What about the behavior of A.E. Common, Burns and Mac, and Labor, and all these other groups? I mean, we talked about Edgemore learning some stuff. Did did these outside pressure groups learn any lessons, or did they did they you know, do they continue to do what they've been doing now? Well, we'll see. I mean, we're only a few days into this uh, new post MOU world, <laughs> so um, so we'll see if they if 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 they keep up any any pressure on uh, uh, either council people or labor groups that they think they may be able to influence. I mean, like we said earlier, clear. There's still five people lined up against this thing. That's a you know, it's, it's, it's certainly better than a 7-6 majority, but not yeah. much. Yeah, and yeah. Hold that thought. I want to come back to that on the other side. Uh, let's take a break. We'll talk about the politics of this decision and then what's ahead for KCI when Deep Background continues. Back now to talk a little bit about the politics of all this. One of the things we didn't mention in the first segment was the mayoral aspirations of about half the people in that chamber, and that clearly, Bill, played a role. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was Scott Wagner, Scott Taylor. Wagner, Taylor, Kevin Joel Justice, Jermaine Reed. Uh, um, uh, maybe Catherine Shields, even. Possibly Catherine Shields, possibly Quentin Lucas. Uh Sure. I mean, the gravity well of, of, of the campaign season was definitely... How did it distort this process? Or did it? I, you know, I'm not sure it distorted. Well, I'm not sure. I think, you know, Steve might be a better position to answer. He's been around yeah, longer. Yeah. Um, I think everyone realized that there were stakes here. I think um, Jolie Justice realized that uh, she had a lot uh, on the table in terms of seeing this thing right. finally go through smoothly. Uh, I think others were kind of torn, uh, like Quentin Lucas, about whether to be uh, 
you know, whether it served their long-term purposes uh, to stand against this MOU because they, they, they should be standing with labor or standing right. with uh, the side. Or the South Side or Burns and Mack. I mean, that clearly right. was a motivator for Taylor, right. Scott Taylor. Yeah, so there was all of that, and, and all of that was in the mix of, uh, of concerns. What's your own that? view about the mayoral politics? I, mean, one the, I think one of the classic Steve arguments was no one wanted to see Joe Lee Justice or to a certain degree Jermaine Reed come out looking good from this process, and so that's why there was some attempt to damage it. Do you buy any of that? It could be. I mean, you're never going to get some uh, aspiring politician to say – you know, I threw a wrench in this to make, you know, my no, other opponent look, look bad, bad or right, I did, right. I made this decision because of campaign contributions. You, you, you're not going to get that sort of candid assessment. Um, but if you just look at the, if, if, if you look at the circumstances at play here, this was kind of an unusual Kansas City story um, in terms of how it really laid a lot of different divisions and a lot of competing interests bare for the public to really see. And so, you know, you've got Burns and McDonald who's involved in this thing. And Burns and McDonald is long known as, you know, in, in, in addition to being a civic uh, uh, figure uh, in this town, they have money to spend when it comes to political candidates. So there's that consideration out there. There's also the consideration of the current mayor whose, you know, poll figures seem to consistently do well. And there's a view in the political world that, um, you know, the mayor's endorsement will help whoever he chooses to endorse in the upcoming election. He's kind of on the other side of this issue. Uh, you've got labor unions who, like Burns and McDonald, have some money to spend when it comes to and campaign And some foot season. soldiers. I mean, they have votes. That's the other thing. It's not just money. And Burns and Mac is the same way. I mean, they have, you know, employees, family members, they can yeah. make a difference in some ways. Although when you look at a lot of the Burns and McDonald contributions, they are coming from people with addresses listed in Leewood right, or right, right. Summit. <laughs> but the, but they, you know, they, they do have, they, they, they certainly do have KCMO employees too. And they, there's, there's a war chest and they're willing to spend on candidates they think are going to be receptive maybe to the goals that they have. And so all those things are impossible to ignore when we when we view when right. we view what happened, right, and that's why that's one of the th- untangling it is so important uh, because there were merit based objections, there were pressure group objections, there were political objections. I mean, you know, I, I've taken some heat for what we wrote back in December, but the reality is there were so many moving parts that I think the December vote snapped everybody to attention, that these parts are moving, that you have to pay attention to this process. It's not being done in the back rooms. It needs to be done publicly. And so untangling the motives is, I, I don't know, I think important, or at least entangling them as well as we can. Do you? Yeah, you never know. Um, you never know for sure what, you know. I mean, Scott Wagner, for example, was very aggressive against this deal. Now, how much of that was merit-based? How much was it because he wants to be mayor? How much of it was because he was unsatisfiable under any circumstances? He just didn't like Edgemore. You know, th- th- those are difficult questions to answer. But if you're going to consider him for mayor, y- you want to get as close as you can to answering those, don't you, Bill? Sure. And he's a good example. There, were, there was a lot going on under the hood there. You yeah. had he's the son of an, a union iron worker. Right. And, and so he labor obviously had, had, some, some, had some affinity to labor. Uh, his wife, his wife got, got fired by one of the <laughs> got one of the construction partners companies with Edgemore. With Edgemore, um, 
and uh, and he probably did see this uh, Seattle uh, the SeaTac airport thing as a thing. Uh, as a cautionary tale of some kind. Yeah. So there's all of that, and it's hard to sort of stack them. This was the most important. This right. was the second right, more important. That. But it's all in kind of a mix. Yeah, you know. Let's. T- I want to come back to this because I do want to talk about the path forward. But let's talk one uh, about Sly James, mm-hmm. because his change from May until the vote last Thursday was remarkable. Well, his change was like a lot of people's changes in this. I mean, I'm kind of astonished. One of the astonishing things about this whole saga is how everybody, well, nearly everybody, kind of flipped on their heads in terms of where they (laughs) stood and who they hung out with and things like that. But you're right. I mean, the mayor came out originally very very much in support. I mean, it was partly his idea to support Burns and McDonald on a no-bid basis. He said that they felt like they could do it and that Burns and McDonald was the only company that could do it. And, and it was the only way to get voters to approve it, too. Yeah, and I mean, pretty quickly we saw that Burns and McDonald is not the only company that can do that. I mean, I mean, m- most people would have seen that statement originally and said, right. no, there's all kinds of companies that do airports. And let's Burns. just be fair for a minute. Jolie Justice was on the Burns and Mac team, too. She flipped, but the yeah. mayor seems the most interesting Right, and then you know he he continued to support them, and then ultimately the decision was made to go with Edgemore, and then you saw him last week in a couple of fairly remarkable sets of uh, uh, comments from him, uh, publicly calling out Burns and McDonald along with AECOM for what he said were heavy-handed politics, you know, looking to undermine what was going on. And uh, which sort of placed him at the opposite end of the spectrum from where he started, and that was, you know, that was that was a fairly uh, interesting thing to observe. Over the I, I think of that his to his transformation was essential, Bill, because had he remained sort of steadfast for Burns and Mac, even after the selection of Edgemore, it might not have Edgemore might not have passed. Possibly, he. I, I think at the end of the day, he just wanted this thing done. And I think he recognized uh, that he snapped to attention after the December vote in many ways, too. He recognized, ultimately, even though he threw a major tantrum after the vote, he talked about you can't lead people who don't tell the truth. Right. Right. His rhetoric has been just really over the top in some ways. Hogs at the trough. trough. But his strengths are also his weaknesses, like with many of us. And I think that some of that people appreciate and, and it gets their attention. And... But it also makes him, you know, it makes him, sure, as a council member, it makes him difficult to deal with. Do you think he was legacy shopping? Was he, you know, we've got to get this airport done on my watch? And that's, and so he saw this as the best path to get it done. Because again, I do think there was a a portion of the council who said, boy, I may not like Edgemore, but if I blow this up tomorrow, we've got to start again. And we're, you know, who's going to bid? And it's just going to be messy as well. And maybe he fell a little bit into that category. I think that, yeah, he, his first, his first uh, sympathies were for Burns and McDonald. But at the end, I just think he didn't much care who builds this thing. He wanted, he wanted to see ground broken and he wanted to see this thing up and running before he left office. Yeah. So a final question, guys. Um, the headline on your story last week was, uh, you know, council endorses Edgemore for now, which a lot of people were paying. You know, that clause at the end <laughs> made some difference. And I think, Steve, you suggested throughout this podcast that anyone who thinks this is over, over may not be paying attention. you think that's right, that there are still I – mean, what are the next steps we have to keep an eye on in order to understand whether there will be yet another attempt to, to – 
to undermine Edgemore. Now, we should be clear, the, the procurement process is over. The MOU is signed, and that goes right. forward. But there are other steps along the way. Yeah, so Edgemore is now the official winning bidder, and you don't have any backup bidders any longer. Um, so which means a, that you would have to start over correct. if the city fires Edgemore, which, by the way, it can do for any reason. It can right. walk away for any reason. Right, although that's made a little bit more difficult now by the fact that, yes, now indeed we know they would have to start over, and then you're really setting the process back right. a year or so. Plus write a check. Um, yeah, and then you're going to have to pay you know, Edgemore some, some money uh, to, go, to go away if the deal can't get struck. I think one of the next things to look for in all of this is what's the guaranteed maximum price or the lump sum when they kind of arrive at a firmer uh, idea of what this whole thing is going to cost. If that figure shoots up from this, you know, we've kind of been thinking about it as a $1 billion project. If that shoots up a bunch, you know, 1.5 or something like that, you're going to hear a lot of hue and cry yep. out there in the community. Um, and justifiably so, by the way. Right. And, you know... The, so there's an incentive for Edgemore and the city to try and keep it around... I mean, they'll they'll argue inflation and some other things, but anything that's dramatically above one billion dollars, there will be some blowback. And it's not just remember the, the people forget the airlines are the enormous player here, and they have to be okay with the cost, and they may want what may have happened in Seattle that they say, hey, look, we want another extra bell, we want an extra right. whistle here, or five more gates, or five more gates, or they wanted. They wanted transparent passenger gangways in <laughs> Seattle, which yeah, God, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what that was. <laughs> um, but any, you know, when, when people start getting into designing things like this, they, they suddenly become enamored of things yeah. that they want. Yeah. What other roadblocks are out there other than the this uh, design and price? Um, I think that's the other is uh, the, the financing is always right. you know, is always uncertain until it's done. Right. And, 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 to, and the, according to the MOU, they're going to use debt only, which means they'll borrow all the money, and mm-hmm. it will be a conduit financing thing, which <laughs> in essence is airport revenue bonds by another name. But they basically borrow a, a public agency to be sort of the pass through or the conduit right. for these bonds. It, the public agency is not liable for any kind of force. Do you have any idea what that's going to be? Port Authority, uh, Transit Authority? They're asking for proposals, I guess. Yeah, I, I think it's less likely to be the Transit Authority. I think the, the view is the Transit Authority sort of has a ways to go to sort of mature right. a little bit. It could be the Platte County Economic Development uh, Corporation, agency. Corporation, yeah. Could be the Port Authority. Um, but they, you know, again, you, you can't really, you don't know what market conditions are going to be. Interest there rates. no interest rates. Um, this is such a volatile time across the board. I right. Mean, who knows what, what's going to happen. Federal government may want to kick in some money, that type of thing. Yeah, I think that's less likely now when we look at um, the infrastructure yeah. proposal. Right yeah, now. right. Do you think, Steve, that the council will be as involved at the granule level on these decisions going forward as they were on the MOU? We do, we do need a development agreement, which will have, uh, and then there presumably will be a labor agreement, although the council can't really touch that at all. That has to be an independent thing. But you do need a, a, you know, a firm development agreement with the price and all the other things. Will the, council, will the council in essence say, no, we want three additional gates? Will they say, no, we don't like glass, we want brick? I mean, you could see foresee a thing after the MOU in which, yeah, the council is going to pick at this with a the barest of margins. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if they get quite into the uh, nitty gritty de- details like the the type of glass or or, or whatever. <laughs> but I think 
I think they will be paying close attention to the terms of the final agreement. And you could see this. You, look, let's not be naive. We could see this whole situation play out again later on. I mean, um, it's just harder to break up now, but not well, impossible. Yeah, I mean, you will you will face some criticism as a council member if you if if you're on the majority that says no final contract and we're going to rebid this thing because, you know, Edgemore could walk away with up to twenty three million dollars uh, from and, it, and that would come from the aviation fund. It wouldn't be right you know, taxpayer general, money. You know, it's, it's, you're that not was gonna, not you, well understood, you, by the yeah, way. Yeah, you're not going to see fewer police on the street because Edgemore uh, got a check to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, that's real money. It's not it's not fake money. It's not monopoly money um so you know there's that consideration too um you know the thing i the thing i always tell people when when they ask me about what's what's going to happen next or what i think is going to happen with the kci is just just stay tuned because predicting this thing is a uh Mm -hmm. uh, a fool's game (laughs) yeah there's a lot of fool's gold in the ground when you try to dig into what's may or may not happen but but i think uh, and sort of as a wrap-up question uh, guys is this, while I think you're both right that there are other hurdles to come, this was an important step uh, and makes it more likely than not that we will get an airport terminal in my lifetime. I mean, I think that's one of the concerns now is if you started over from square one, you would delay the project easily for a year and a half, maybe two years. And with no guarantee you don't go through the same mess when you pick a new developer. I mean, you're going to go through the same CBA, the same financing, although maybe it's 5% instead of 3 for your bonds. I mean, I do get the sense from some members of the council that, they, that the public has said, we don't care about any of this, just build the damn terminal. And the vote last Thursday made that more likely than not on a reasonable schedule. It does, but I always caution against an attitude of we just need to pass something just to pass it and get it done. I mean, I right. think that I think you run in. I think you saw a little bit of that happen with the downtown, you know, power and light reconstruct. Yeah, right, and then you regret it later. Yeah, I mean, there's certain elements, you know, and clearly, I think most people are happy with what's been done. But you're left with these Easter eggs that linger long after you know that council that passed that. Uh, moves on to their next uh, phase of their life. And we're seeing this again this week where there's some talk about how the city's going to have to be on the, uh, uh, help pay for a parking garage for the third high-rise apartment project. That is a legacy of an original agreement, which you could credibly argue is not the best deal for the city because it obligates right. them to all these ongoing Projects. And it was and so, said at the time, well, this is, you know, the train's leaving the station. This the is only the thing only deal we, we got to get it done now. Yeah. It's the only chance. You know, there'll never be another chance to do this. Well, you know, probably not. Yeah. But that's the deal they made. And we've got council people now who have to deal with that decision from, yeah. what, 14 years ago? Yeah. But, Bill, again, this was not an inconsequential decision last Thursday either. No, I, mean, I think it, it contributes. You step back and you look at the whole forest instead of the trees. The, the question now is not if we get a, a new airport. It is it is when. It's like when, under what circumstances, under what cost, on, on what schedule. It's not yeah. should we do an airport. Everyone has now agreed we should. Do you think – I said final question, but I've got to ask this too. Do you think the city walks away from this now in, uh, the, in terms of watching it and caring about the process – you know, we wrote an editorial that suggested the city auditor should go back and review what happened. I mean, you get the sense that people are so relieved that the vote has been taken that no one really wants to look at the sausage. 
Um, but there might be some value in that, uh, you know, to sort of understand what, what you know, you've, Steve, you said from the beginning it's been flawed. Why? Well, you know, what, I, I think it would be important for the council and the public to understand that. Do you think that's right or not right? Oh, absolutely. I, I think this is an opening that, and, and there's some people on the council that would like to see this happen, uh, to sit down, maybe not in a formal blue ribbon commission right. or working group, but maybe Somebody. sit down and and talk about how, you know, an after action review of, you know, and lessons learned in this thing. I right. think that would be, a, it would be irresponsible not to do something right. like that. You think that. that's right, Steve, that there are lessons to be learned from this mess? Yeah. I or is there a pro, you know, I think one of the things I heard last week was no one wants to reopen this because then it becomes an issue in the mayor's race and in council races, and you don't want to be arguing about the past. The whole point is the future. Big deal. I mean, anytime I hear politicians say, we don't want to look to the past, we only want to look to the future, is they don't want to, they don't want to settle, they don't want to settle up things that happened in the past that will matter in the future. Right, exactly. You know, we saw that, you know, the, your editorial reference to audit back in 2008 that listed out best practices, and some of those clearly weren't followed in this issue. And, um, you know, I think, I think a document that really codifies how a procurement like this should be done and handled so we don't get things like Swiss challenges and no-bid contracts um, and private announcements and backroom negotiations right. and all I that mean, stuff. The, 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 the whole I, I I cultivated some subject matter experts in P three procurement uh, from outside you know all around the country and really do each person anyone I talked to about this whole process they were just sort of befuddled and perplexed by how Kansas City was handling it there were a lot of departures from industry norms and best practices and all of this and look mistakes happen mistakes happen in our business mistakes happen in public business. If you don't learn from them, it's really a wasted opportunity. Yeah, that sounds great. Steve Vockrop with The Star and Bill Turk with The Star down at City Hall. Thank you both for being with us. Fascinating discussion. I'm sure, you know, I was sort of hoping last Thursday, well, we'll never have to write about this again. I have a feeling that's not going to be the case <laughs> going forward. Thanks again for being with us. I'm Dave Helling with The Star's editorial board. You've been on Deep Background. 